if only the Republican primary was decided by billionaires, uh, Nikki Haley would be the presidential nominee. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, December 1st. Today, I'm joined by Teddy Schleifer to talk about the Republican billionaire class and how major donors are evaluating the GOP presidential primary with about six weeks to go until the Iowa caucuses. Many in the donor class have lined up behind Nikki Haley lately, but going by the math and the calendar, Ron DeSantis still might have a better shot at beating Trump. So who will emerge as Trump's main rival? Teddy and I dig in. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of Powers the Happy Friday, everybody. Happy December. I'm talking to Teddy Schleifer today, who's wearing a, a winter hat to celebrate the season. Is it cold where you are? It is, uh, it is a chilly day in, in Washington, D.C. I have my San Francisco hat on, and my hair does not look good today, so oh, I don't want to burden you with me on a, on a bad day. <laughs> you only get me at my best. I, I wear hats on bad hair days, too. Men do it, too. We have bad hair days. Teddy, I want to talk to you about a really smart piece you wrote, uh, in part because your sources in this world are so good, about big donors and the Republican presidential race. You know, we have, I mean, it's almost six weeks to the Iowa caucuses. We're getting in on crunch time here. Uh, the headline of your piece mm -hmm. is, the GOP mega donors come to Jesus. And the subhead was really provocative, I thought. Fear is growing within the Republican billionaire class that the party's money men have lost any ability to elevate an alternative to Trump. Why would things be different for Nikki Haley? Uh, the reason you mentioned Haley, I think, in part, is that, Americans for Prosperity, you know, the Koch Brothers Network that was so ascendant and powerful during the Tea Party days, announced they're endorsing Nikki Haley's campaign uh, in the Republican primary. They're going to put a shitload of money into field operations, television, radio, mail, digital, presumably, to basically elevate her to Trump's main rival, past Ron DeSantis, who it should be said is still in second place in Iowa. In the, in the race for a second, I guess. But before getting too much into Nikki Haley, you know, what is the state of play for Ron DeSantis? He was the horse. He was the guy that all the donors were putting their money behind. Donald Trump was always going to raise so much money online through small donors. And the big power players who, you know, didn't want Donald Trump to be the nominee again were opening their checkbooks for Ron DeSantis. Does he still have their support? He does, but there is, to put it mildly, uh, disagreement within kind of the, the big money universe that revolves around DeSantis. So much so that um, about a week ago, there was a splinter group of the super PAC that was started by Jeff Rowe and broken by Peter Hamby uh, back in the day. <laughs> um, there is now a splinter group to that group. And there are plenty of people who are supporting Ron DeSantis, especially on the campaign side, who are mad at the kind of big money operation um, that has enveloped uh, DeSantis' world. So he has their support, yes, but point one I'd make is that support is dispersed now across a couple different uh, circles of influence. And point two is, you know, the, the, the struggles that DeSantis has had, which have been, you know, very well documented uh, here and elsewhere, um, have created a lane for other donors to get behind other candidates, none of whom more so than Nikki Haley, who 
is consolidating support at an enviable clip among major donors. Um, on Monday, there's going to be a big kind of blowout fundraiser for her hosted by a bunch of Wall Street people. Of course, the Kochs have now endorsed her, and I imagine there will be more to come from other wealthy uh, Republicans. And if only the Republican primary was decided by billionaires, uh, Nikki Haley would be the presidential nominee. Unfortunately, <laughs> there are a few few other people who have a, have a say in that, but good job for Nikki for uh, piercing the DeSantis, DeSantis hold on rich people. Yeah, I I feel like I wrote this three or four times this year uh, in the context did, of Tim yeah. Scott and, and Glenn Youngkin. Like, if there's anything that signals this person is not wanted by GOP voters, it's having support from major donors. <laughs> you know, they uh, donors have been wrong and wrong and wrong all cycle. But, you know, at some point in January or February, maybe, maybe, maybe one of these people will emerge as a Trump rival and then this money can be put to work. The, the, the sole counter argument I was make to you, Peter, is that DeSantis was the person who supposedly, you know, could do both, right? Which is he had yeah. genuine support from major donors, whether they kind of wanted, you know, whether he was really their genuine first choice or not. You, you know, almost I felt like donors were pre-settling, like they would settled even in April or May of this year because they thought he was the only person who had support from actual voters. So mm-hmm. he was the sole way to to solve that Rubik's cube, um, but. That didn't work out. So now what you're saying is definitely true, which is that the gap between donors and voters is, is massive. And uh, your your point about Tim Scott fantasy or Nikki Haley fantasy or Glenn Youngkin fantasy were all true. And, and, you know, DeSantis ended up being true as well. Yeah. I mean, look, um, Nikki Haley is in, you know, gaining steam in certain corners of the Republican Party. She doesn't not not have support. But, you know, among the hardcore Republican base, you know, she's. She's below Vivek <laughs> in terms of their draft picks. But, you know, some of the names involved here, um, Elliott Management Executive Terry Castle, Dan Sr. and his wife, Campbell Brown, LSU alum, go Tigers. Uh, you know, they're hosting mm-hmm. a fundraiser for Haley in New York. And, and that's sort of like hinting at will Paul Singer get involved for Haley? Uh, Dan Sr. works for, for, for Paul or advises Paul. Um, Ken Griffin has also suggested he might get involved for Nikki Haley. I mean, how close are these people to making a decision or do they want to wait until this stuff shakes out after Iowa before being uh, like, okay, this is going to be, this is going to be our horse? Yeah. Um, it is not entirely clear to me whether or not Singer will inevitably back Haley. Mm-hmm. There, there's a couple of degrees of separation here. I mean, like, I don't even know if Dan Senor himself is backing Haley. I mean, we just know that his his wife is backing Haley. Um, yeah. We know El- other people at Elliott are backing Haley. And certainly Singer's peers expect him to do so. I was looking up when uh, Singer backed Marco Rubio in 2016, and mm-hmm. recently and it was October 30th, 2015. Oh, wow. Um, and, and that was seen as like a epochal moment in, in, in kind of the Republican primary that Paul Singer has come down from Sinai and, you know, and said that, you know, these are the people who uh, we have decided to uh, help elect. Uh, and, of course, in retrospect, lots of coverage of, you know, Paul Singer's declaration looks pretty stupid in retrospect. And frankly, like some of my own coverage from 2016 looks stupid in retrospect. We were so obsessed with kind of who individual donors ended up backing and it ultimately yeah. was... Uh, largely irrelevant. You know, I think the, 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 the focus, <laughs> yeah, sure. The, the focus on people on, on Wall Street, I think is, um, it makes sense. I mean, it is, there's sort of two engines of kind of the, of the uh, Republican Party uh, donor base, which are 
energy and and Wall Street, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, there's a whole kind of oil crew, and and those people are generally like more anonymous. But then you know these figures on Wall Street are sort of these towering centers of influence, such as such as Paul Singer, Ken Griffin, Steve Schwartzman. Warren Stevens is another person who's a, a banker who's very sort of involved with the American Opportunity Alliance, which is this high dollar donor network that everyone has been sucking up to over the last six months. Mm. So uh, I think it's crunch time, essentially. We're going to see decisions being made. The reason why the Cokes uh, moved now is just the calendar, right? I mean, there is a sense that in 2016, the singer might have come out strongly for Rubio, but you know the, the sense was that people waited too long. The Cokes very famously or infamously really declined to put the full weight of their network behind any, any individual candidate. And it's November 30th that we're recording this on, or December, uh, when you're now listening to this. And uh, you know, if you're not making a move now, Trump could win Iowa by 30 points and this primary is over. So uh, it's now or never. I want to talk to you more about Iowa when we come back after the break. Back to the powers that be, everybody. I'm talking to Teddy Schleifer about the Republican primary race and the the money moves behind the scenes. Um, speaking of Iowa, Teddy, and how it may or may not be over, I think on the topic of Ron DeSantis, the national conversation mm-hmm. has always been a little removed from the Iowa conversation and missing a few beats. Um, look, Ron DeSantis came out hot, went down. He's kind of stalled out. But the race is closer in Iowa than it is nationally. <laughs> you know, we're talking... 20, 30 points, depending on the poll. An NBC News to win register poll, the one that came out in October, found that 67% of Iowa caucus voters, goers, see DeSantis as a top candidate or are actively considering him, which is the same same number Trump had. So like DeSantis does straddle support between the kind of, you know, non-Trump people and then the very culture war MAGA types. He has a lane that's the reason the Trump campaign is trying to keep their boot on his neck. I mean, as much as we're talking about Nikki Haley in the media, you don't see Trump going after Nikki Haley in the same way he's going after Ron DeSantis. Because looking at the math, um, he's still the number one threat to Trump, even if he's trailing by a lot. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah, look, I mean, there is uh, when you talk to supporters of DeSantis, they feel that his obit has been written, you know, ever since, you know, the first creek appeared on the uh you know twitter spaces with 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 elon musk in 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 may and that you know he his his support has has dropped but it is not you know cratered or Mm -hmm. is not evaporated you know choose your choose your verb but you know he is remains kind of the the only candidate that uh, as i outlined a few minutes ago the only candidate that at least plausibly uh could win the republican primary and that's an argument that is uh reiterated by donors who are partial to him uh, again and again, and they say that just because Nikki Haley has consolidated the anti-Trump donors uh, and the anti-Trump voters, like she's not winning a head-to-head matchup against Donald Trump, and and the mm-hmm. and the, there is no more path to victory than there was for Nikki Haley six months ago, and that the only plausible argument for a non-Trump candidate to be the Republican nominee is for it to be Ron DeSantis. And you know, the person snickering at all of this has got to be Donald Trump, who is is you know watching. Two candidates have ballpark the same support. We can quibble over Iowa or New Hampshire or national or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that muddle or that kind of log jam persists. 
And or if it persists, Trump's support is pretty stable. And, and then, you know, you can run through Iowa, New Hampshire, and this, this is over. And it really depends on, you know, I think a lot of the consolidation narrative that donors pitch uh, to me really depends on, on kind of on Iowa and kind of where the second and third place margins end up. And frankly, it depends on like someone like Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley's willingness to drop out, yeah. you know, maybe earlier than they want to, right? I mean, could you, could someone drop out like, you know, if DeSantis gets 10% in Iowa and loses to, you know, Nikki Haley by 10 points, like, does he drop out? I mean, I have, I have no idea. I have no special insight there. But, like, that's a tough call. And, and decisions yeah. like that could make a huge impact on whether or not, you know, you get that one-on-one race against Trump, which could decide if there's a President Trump or a nominee Trump or not. Um, and those decisions are a combination of ego and, you know, how, re- how anti-Trump are these people really? Mm-hmm. And that I don't know. And, and they probably don't know until the chips fall in Iowa. I want to ask you about the Coke network. We can't say Coke brothers anymore. David has left us. <laughs> Charles mm-hmm. is still kicking. But, you know, during the pre-Trump years, during the Obama years, Tea Party era, like Americans for Prosperity was a huge force in electoral politics. You can call it AstroTurf or Grass Tops, but they were out there in the field, getting candidates elected, putting money into key races around the country to help create Republican majorities in state houses, you know, and nationally. They have come in guns blazing for Nikki Haley. Forget uh, Ron DeSantis. They're all in for Nikki Haley. And, you know, I texted a couple of my South Carolina friends from back in the day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, what do you guys think about this? And one of them wrote back, GOP primary voters will find out that AFP still exists. <laughs> um, sure. Like, is is AFP as powerful? Can they help Nikki Haley? And like, how do they do it? Because the minute you attack Donald Trump, you know that can backfire as well. They've got to kind of thread this needle where they're supporting Nikki Haley, but also not making Nikki Haley look too look like too much of a rhino. Right. So the abridged history of the last decade is you know back in 2013. Um, mm-hmm. Or ten years ago, um, you know, the Cokes were very powerful, or perceived as powerful, which is honestly matters more than actually being powerful. Um, and you know, there were all of these fights, kind of between uh, the more hard right wing of the Republican Party, which was epitomized by the Cokes, and sort of the more business friendly Chamber of Commerce uh, wing of the party, and you mm-hmm. know, that played out in a thousand races. And um, then Donald Trump was elected in 2016 on basically a repudiation of the entire Koch platform. You know, very tough on immigration, which the Cokes are not very tough on protectionism, which the Cokes are not. Uh, and the Cokes kind of go into this wilderness where um, they start focusing more and more on kind of their charitable efforts and their C3 efforts. Not that those aren't somewhat political, but, you know, the die has been cast. They have very little power in Trump's White House. And, you know, you know, if you remember Trump, like, calling all of these people puppets, and I think he went after Charles and David Koch by name during the 2016 yeah, yeah. election. 2020 rolls around, Trump's ousted, and, and, and now the Cokes. Uh, have regrets about, you know, not mobilizing more aggressively against Trump in 2016. And they said at the beginning of this year, publicly, they plans to uh, eventually get involved in the presidential race and probably endorse somebody. And uh, everyone was waiting for that to happen. Um, And Haley has risen. We should note that there are plenty of contradictions between Nikki Haley and the Koch platform, you know, probably most fiercely on or most Obviously, on foreign policy, where the Cokes are very non-interventionist, Nikki Haley is probably the most hawkish candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, 
left in the field. Like, do they have power? I mean, look, AFP does still exist. Um, they do have organizers who are some are paid. There are you know real volunteers also who um, believe in their mission of you know unleashing American prosperity or whatever kind of they want to dress it up as. Mm-hmm. And um, these are people who, for the last six months or so, or you know, during, or ever since the Koch said they were going to engage in the presidential election, have sort of been doing a soft anti-Trump message, but no proactive express advocacy for any individual candidate. So it's been right. time to move on from Trump, yada, yada, yada. And now, you know, door knockers are going to say, vote Nikki Haley, vote Nikki Haley, vote Nikki Haley. We'll see that in paid media. Um, we already are seeing that in paid media from them. And the, the challenge, this is like such an obvious point, and I've said it on this podcast before, and it like, you could be a you know 16-year-old AP government student and, and come up with this one. But like, no one has figured out a decade into Donald Trump's, you know, rise, how to like run messaging against him that yeah. reduces his support. I mean, it's like I don't need to be, you know, a Princeton political science major to come up with that one. I mean, that 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 is that is a like very obvious point that uh, I don't really know uh, whether or not uh, the Kochs, with all their you know data maestros and political savvy and billions of dollars, have come up with an answer to so. Do they matter? Like, uh, you'd rather have, you know, if you're Nikki Haley, you'd rather have the Cokes be whipping for you totally. than not. But, um, like, what's what's the message that's going to draw away a Trump voter? Yeah. I mean, even talking to the Haley campaign, they they know they have to run an inside straight to pull this off. Uh, but you'd rather have this money behind you than not. Teddy, have a great weekend. Nice hat. You bet. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you on Monday. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.